How was your Christmas? Are you turkey now? I had no turkey this time. Anyway, um, you know, this is, it's quite, it's quite interesting. I mean, we are at the end of the year, literally the very end of the year. And um, in a few hours time, we'll be in a new year. So it's, it's literally one season passing and a new season coming. And we have, we have a few choices here. We can either say, hey, what, it's, it's just the same. Every day is the same, you know, 2023, 2000, 2021, 2024. It, there's no difference, it's all the same. We can't take that attitude. Or we can say that um, a, a new year means new opportunities and uh, a new day to experience God's grace. All right? It, it can be a new year to be led to a renewal. The Bible, I was reading Isaiah 40 the other day, and the word renewal seems to run through that chapter. Because why? Because there's no boredom, nothing boring in the kingdom of God. There's no same old, same old. Because the Spirit of God makes all things new. Even that which is old, He makes new. He renews and He comes, the Spirit of God comes to those who wait. So I looked at that word wait. And it is not passive. It is not doing nothing. It is not sitting down and just looking at the stars. Waiting is proactive. There is an actively seeking the will of God. And that means hoping, praying, and living in the expectant that God is going to do something special in 2024. So, Isaiah says, what he does is he gives strength, he gives direction, and for the tired, he gives restoration. Right? So those who wait, those who seek, those who are expectant, he gives restoration. So for 2024, the question is, Shall we remain in 2023 or do we run and not be weary? Shall we inquire about what the Spirit of God has in store for those who want to see His kingdom come in fuller measure? So nothing, nothing can be sadder than a situation where churches stagnate. Um, in, in, the, in the past one and a half years since I left Mount Pleasant, I had a chance to go to many churches. And um, this year has been, has been I, I can't believe it, this year I've been to 40 churches. I mean, some churches more than once, but 40, 40 invitations, 42 invitations this year. So I've seen a lot of churches at work. And, and I want to tell you that nothing can be sadder than to see a church which stagnates, which does not renew which does the same old, same old every Sunday, where there are no new people, where the same old, same old happens, and after a while, people don't expect anything at all. 
there is no expectancy, there's no renewal, and people are happy not to have something new. So, so as I was thinking about what to say today, my, my thoughts went to Philippians. And the words which um, came to mind immediately were those famous words that Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, looking forward to what lies ahead. And so I, I, I looked at that, but I felt I had to look back, go back to see the context in which those words were written. And I felt that my, my main message for today is not forgetting what lies behind. My main message for today is what comes before what lies behind. So I'm going to start from verse 7. So, uh, is, there, is there a... Oh, I do. Is there a... Are my slides up? Okay. So, what, are, what is the background to Philippians? You know, anybody wants to give a shot? How did Philippians start? Remember once I preached a sermon in Mount Pleasant, I call it, Paul's letter to the Philippines? Paul was in prison. Sorry? Paul was in prison. Yeah, Paul was in prison, yeah. That's, that's right, he was in prison. And you won't get that. You won't get that from reading his epistle because the theme of joy runs through that epistle. Um, but, but how that church started was very interesting. He and Silas, they go to, to, to Philippi, which is named after the father of Alexander. Right? So he goes to Philippi, and um, one of his first converts is a woman called Lydia. And then he and Silas go walking down the street, and a, a slave girl follows him follows them, and, and, and she begins to, to say a few things, and, and she keeps bothering them, and Paul and Silas don't do anything at first, but after a while, he felt that he had to do something, and so he exorcised this slave girl. She was obviously possessed. She, she was actually a spirit medium, and you don't see many of them here. They are, but you don't see many of them. But back in, back, in, back in Africa, back in Asia, you have these temples, and, and these spirit mediums, they do a big business in Asia, right? And so this slave girl um, was a meal ticket for her owners. So she was possessed by a spirit of divination. And so what Paul did was, he exorcised, he cast out the spirit that was possessing this girl. create some problems for Paul because the slave girl's owners, well, their meal ticket was gone. And so they, they got very upset and a crowd began to, to descend upon them and they, and they, dragged, they dragged Paul to the magistrate where he was, he was beaten up. He wasn't just given a, a slap in the face, you know, because later on we are told that, that the jailer had to go and wash his wounds which means there were, there were, he was, he was beat up pretty bad. He was blood all over the place. And then after that, they were thrown into jail, thrown into prison. That same night, an earthquake happens in the jail. And um, the, uh, the prison doors open wide. Everybody does a run. 
But Paul and Silas, they decide to stay. They don't want to go. They stay put. Maybe it was a free meal. I don't think so, but they decide to stay. The, the Philippine jailer is quite puzzled by all this. He's scared because he's going to get into trouble the next day. He can't explain this. But he sees Paul and Silas there. And a conversation happens. And he brings them home. And, and what we're told is he begins to wash their wounds. And from that, you have the beginning of a church plant. Church planting is why we are here. We're not here to retain the status quo. We're not here to play church. Community is great. But church plants is what we are in. Should we say the business of? But that's what they're here for. That is our commission. So that's the beginning of the, of the Philippian church. It becomes a great church, a good church. And when I read this letter, I'm, I, I, I feel very positive to it, towards it because but when he writes that letter, he's not scolding anybody. He's not writing to a bad problem. He, you know, to the Corinthians, you're saying, hey, you guys, you got it all wrong. Okay? And he's not making a big teaching um, moment like Romans. But for, for the Philippian church, what he's saying is, hey, rejoice always. He's not, he's not, he hasn't got bad attitude. He's not grumpy. He's not um, upset. He's not snarling. He's not feeling, for him, feeling sorry for himself. He's not saying, I'm in prison, I'm in church. I mean, sorry, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know whether he was in Rome or Ephesians when he wrote this letter, but he, he had the right to feel sorry for himself if he wanted to, but he's not doing that. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't think that he was in jail when he, read, when he wrote this letter. He was not allowing his negative circumstances to dictate his mood or how he thinks. He's following Jesus. Now Jesus, when he was betrayed, he kept his cool. He didn't fall apart. So what we're seeing in Paul is peace and joy. There's one great principle which comes out of this. There are many, but Philippians 2 to me is one of those highlights when he says, he talks about Jesus and he says, Jesus didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. This is the big theology here. But he emptied himself. And he, in, in, was it, was it uh, King James who says he made himself of no account. So this is what the incarnation, this is what Jesus is here for. He became human. He became one of us. He becomes a servant. Now, in, in, that's in chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3, he is he's saying, hey, don't follow these legalistic people. They want you to be circumcised. Don't follow them. And then, in verse 7, there is, verse 7 and verse 8, there's some pretty good stuff here. I just want to read it. But whatever gain I had, I counted I counted as I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had. Look, this guy was not a nobody. He came from the upper stratas of society. He had lots of learning behind him. 
He was a Pharisee. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. Society held him in high regard. And he was full of zeal. But he says, I count it as no regard. And then in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So when I think of 2023, there, there are many experiences that you, that you had and I had in 2023. Um, but the chances are, yeah, by the way, I got COVID in 2023. <laughs> I got COVID in 2022. That's probably one of the things you won't forget. But by the time 2025 comes along, uh, 2023 will be just one of many, everything begins to fudge, you know, and you may have a few isolated incidents. But I can't think of anything in 2023 that, um, that changed my life, okay? But what Paul is saying is, there's something which changed my life. He's thinking of that encounter he had with Jesus on the Damascus Road. That changed the direction of his life. That, that completely did a 180 for him. His life was no longer the same. What he had, all the high position he had, he gave away willingly. He was prepared to dump it all because he found something far more important. He found his mission in life. He, he encountered someone who was going to make a huge, huge difference to him. I wonder <laughs> how many of us can say, wow, I am going to do a 180 because this is what means everything to me. So 2000, whatever year it was, it's going to be the, the pivotal year and I'm going to change direction. I'm going to make every moment count from here on. So this is what he is saying. So it doesn't matter that I'm in prison. It doesn't matter if I'm in chains. It doesn't matter if I'm going to get whipped or be sent to a Philippine jail. It doesn't matter because what's more important is what I found in Jesus. So, what is the defining moment for our lives? What, what is it which makes us count, it, count so important that everything else becomes secondary? So for Paul, it is his relationship with Christ. And in verse 8, he says everything he will count as loss, which means there are repercussions that flow from having this priority in life. This means that his life can no longer be the same. Knowing Jesus impacts all areas. You know, some people, they, they, they compartmentalize and they have the spiritual and they have the secular. So Monday to Saturday is secular living. Sunday is sacred. You see, that's the, 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 the heresy of it all, the, the separation into secular and sacred. But as far as Paul is concerned, everything is sacred. But it carries a price. Everything he is prepared to give away. He's prepared to live differently. He's clear about one thing that, which is the most important thing. He is an all or nothing person. I don't know whether, if I were to meet Paul, I don't know whether I would like him. But I know I will respect him. I know I'll take off my hat to him. I know I'll stand up 
in his presence. Because Paul, you are, you are worthy of emulation. You are someone who is prepared to pay the price. I don't know whether I'm prepared to do everything that you do, Paul, but you certainly are a role model for me. Now this is what he does. So he talks in verse 9. verse 9 he says these words. He says, it's getting small. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. But that's verse 8. Verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So my question is, what is faith? It's a good, good question to ask. Does going to church mean that I have faith? If I call myself a Christian. Does it mean that I have, I'm a, I'm a person of faith? Is it enough to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God? Is that enough for, for faith? I think faith begins when we are prepared to acknowledge that here we have someone who is unlike anyone else in the world. Jesus is unlike any other person. Jesus was prepared to make himself of no account for us. But even the devil knows that. The devil acknowledges the presence of Jesus. So, faith, first of all, is a work of God. It comes knocking on our door. But I liken the entry into faith or the reception of faith as like, you know, how many of you have cars which are before 2001 or 2002? Your old cars, you know when you put your, your key in? How many of you drive those cars? You put your key in and then you turn the ignition. Still. 2015. 2015. Wow, you still do that. These days, all these cars have these push-button things, you know. And only when it doesn't work, then you've got to take out the key and put it in. But it's a bit like that. Faith is a bit like that, you see. You can put the key in. You can even start to turn. But the engine hasn't started yet. So, whether you call it being born again, or whether you call it regeneration, the electricity is flowing, Battery is being ignited, but the engine hasn't started yet. So these people who can come to church all their lives, they're in the threshold. They're the entranceway. I've started reading Hebrews 6, by the way. It's, if you want to stretch your mind, if you want to stretch your understanding of theology, read Hebrews 6. And then after you read Hebrews 6, Read John chapter 10. 
when Jesus says, I hold you the power of my hand and I will never let you go. Now, reconcile that with Hebrews 6 and try to understand whether a person, what is salvation? Right? And um, I would say faith is like that. Faith, to be manifested, is like an engine which has ignited. The engine is moving. The, 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 the gas, the gasoline is flowing. It is alive. Where there is faith, no one can be the same. And one of the most realistic things which happens to anyone with faith, one of the surest signs of faith, is not that he becomes a better person. That is sure, of course we become better people. But one of the surest signs of having faith is love. The heart, which was cold, is now warm and hot. People feel passion for the things of God. Coming to church is not, not just an obligation that we do on Sunday, but it is a time when people look forward to be able to worship and sing. And people want to come and hear. And people want to know what does God have for us. There is an expectancy. Faith is manifested in agape. This willingness to sacrifice. This willingness to give. To do something. Nothing can be worse than to have a life which is wasted. Where we just don't do anything for anybody. Faith means we have to love. We, we have the great commandment, but we can't legislate love. Love comes naturally. So the great commandment is there to guide us. We love God and we love our fellow human beings. That, that's what faith does. It changes us. Without love, we die. So he says these words in verse... Maybe I should get one of you to read for me. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Okay, that's the first part. I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We love that part. We love the power of the resurrection. We love power. We want to see things change. We want to see resurrection power. I wonder how many votes went into the resurrection event. It was power. The power just doesn't happen like that. There's a second part. And they share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The second part we don't like. There is power in an apostle like Paul. He wasn't just a person of faith, but God used him as an instrument. God was willing to put power through this instrument. Now, if we want to experience the power of the resurrection, not only in our lives to see change and to be an instrument of change, 
then something else has to be in the equation. And that is to be willing to share in his suffering. We see this in the apostles. Wherever they went, change happened. God used them as instruments of his power. They didn't have guns and armies and money. They changed the world through the power that God put through them. Not because of the influence they had, the the money they had, the, the armies which backed them up. But there was something powerful in their lives. There's something very revolutionary in the way they lived their lives. Look at how um, God speaks to Paul. He comes to him in a dream and he says, the guy guy from Macedonia comes and says, come to Macedonia. For most of us, we don't get visions like that. And the reality is that most of us living here in Canada will not see persecution. We're not going to be persecuted for our faith. But there's a difference between being persecuted and being prepared to suffer for our faith. Okay? So persecution, I dare say, we're not going to experience. Maybe they'll say, hey, we don't want you to, you know, preach too much, or we don't want you to go out there and, 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 and say things against people. But suffering is a different thing. The question is, are we prepared to suffer? Are we prepared to give everything we have so that the gospel will be preached? Are we prepared to give of our time? Are we prepared to give of our energy? Are we prepared to go and give of our money? Are we prepared to take time off so that someone else's ministry can be blessed? Are we prepared to give our comforts, our possessions to those who live in a very troubled world? I want to end with two quotations. The first is from the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. Yeah. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's pause there. Take up his cross and follow me. That means you've got to be willing to go against the flow. You've got to be willing to do something that other people may not like. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So, that's that's, that's, that's the challenge that Jesus gives to us. Are we prepared to suffer? Are we prepared to be without? Are we prepared to give until it hurts? To lift our cross to deny and follow Jesus. Second point, looking at 2024. 
I want to go back to the Old Testament. I love going back to the Old Testament, by the way. There's a lot of wisdom, foundational wisdom, which leads to the New Testament. And, and one interesting person that I, I, I read every now and then is David. And so we come to the end of 2 Samuel. And Israel was being afflicted. They did something bad, so they were afflicted. And so the prophet Gad came and spoke to David. And he said, he said to David and he told him, this is what the Lord says, go and set up for Jehovah or Yahweh an altar on the threshing floor of Arauna the Jebusite. Do I have it up there? No. Well, this, for those of you who are interested, is 2 Samuel 24. So David went up, to the, went up at the word of God as Yahweh had commanded. And when this man, Arauna, looked down and saw the king and his servants coming toward him, Arauna immediately went out and bowed down to the king with his face to the ground. Arauna asked, why has my lord, the king, come to his servant? David replied, to buy from you the threshing floor in order to build an altar to Jehovah, Yahweh, so that the scourge against the people may be halted. But Arana said to David, let my king, let my lord the king, take it and offer up what seems good to him. Here are cattle for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledge and the equipment for the cattle for the wood. All of this, hear this, all of this, O king, Arama gives to the king. Then Arama said to the king, May Jehovah your God show you favor. However, the king said to Arama, No, I must buy it from you for a price. I will not offer up to Yahweh my God burnt sacrifices that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the cattle for 50 silver shekels. And David built an altar there to Jehovah and offered up burnt sacrifices and communion sacrifices. Jehovah then responded to the entreaty for the land and the scourge against Israel was halted. So, for 2024, what does Philippians chapter 3 mean to us? So we go to these words, which I started with, but I didn't speak on. And that, that is, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I read these words as meaning this. All of us are here in a race. It's not a race that only one person wins. All of us who finish past the, the, the finish line wins. But what he's saying is, 
Let's not get distracted. Because what some people do when they run is they like to turn back and they want to see, you know, whether the other guy is caught up. So what he's saying is don't get distracted by what's behind. Don't get distracted by our wins and our losses in 2023. What he's saying is let us be single-minded for what lies ahead. What lies ahead can be very good if... (laughs) We have the wisdom to see. Some people come across adversity and they say, ah, it's very bad. But adversities can be blessings for good. I thought I should share these words with you in conclusion. It comes from a guy called Oswald Chambers. He's one of these old-time preachers. He died at a very young age, but they felt, his family felt that what he wrote should be preserved, and so we have this, my utmost of his highest. And he says these, God requires an account of what has passed. That's from Ecclesiastes. At the end of the year, we turn with eagerness to all that God has for the future, and yet anxiety is apt to arise when we remember our yesterdays. Our present enjoyment of God's grace tends to be lessened by the memory of yesterday's sins and blunders. But God is the God of our yesterdays, and He allows the memory of them to turn the past into a ministry for spiritual growth for our future. The Lord will go before you and He will be with us tomorrow. And the Lord bless all of you, more pleasant Baptist for 2024. I think wonderful things are ahead.